0: Okay, we're we're live. Randy, thanks for being here.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate it. I um, I got your name from. Uh, is, is am I saying this correct? Maine game and fish, fish, fish and wildlife. Fish, yeah. Main main fish and wildlife. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I got your name from uh, Maine Fish and Wildlife um, biologist. Uh, is it Keel? His last name is... Kemper. Kiel Kemper. That's right. He was the first contact uh, when I called, and I just I picked him out of the bunch of uh, biologists because his name sounded cool. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was like, oh, I am want to talk to this guy. His name is Kiel, uh, or girl, I, I, you know. And uh, he picked up, and he was, he was really kind. And I, I told him, first off, that I'd, I'd love to speak with somebody who uh, had a, a specialty in bears and moose. And what he told me was he had somebody and I think I, I believe that the person that's there now has like seven to ten years or something experience. And he said, I can give you this guy's number. He goes, But the guy you really want to talk to is Randy Cross. And I said, Oh, so tell me about Randy Cross. And he just went on and on about your experience and the amount of years that you've you've had in the business of handling bears And um, I'd really like for you to expound on that. Tell me a little bit
1: about your background. Well, in terms of bears, uh, I was fortunate to get a job uh, trapping bears uh, in uh, 1983 as a 25-year-old. And uh, uh, it was a dream job for me. And as it turned out, 41 years later, I was still trapping bears and, and visiting their dens. Um, and during the course of all that, uh, I ended up uh, handling a really high number, uh, somewhere around 300 bears a year towards the end of it uh, that I was handling, um, which you can do the math, but it comes out to, uh, you know, up around 9,000 handlings. Uh, which is a lot, and some of those bears I would have handled uh, as many as twenty-five t- years in a row, like twenty-five or twenty-eight times, uh, from the time they were a cub until they were a great grandmother. It's uh, wow, it's kind of cool. Wow, that, so you've handled a lot of bears. Yep, I've I've come to know a lot of bears somewhat personally, as you can a wild animal, but uh, as much as you know, to know the temperament and uh, without anthropomorphizing too much, which is very difficult for me with bears. Uh, they all have different personalities, different levels of self-confidence and, um, you know, their temperaments are all, they were very different animals. Just like if, you know, people can relate to dogs, I think. Like you can have uh, a bunch of, owners that have uh, black labs, you know, and they all look alike to most people, but each owner's going to be able to look at their dog and know their dog, and every one of them is a little different from the others. Uh, You know, they're just different individuals, and bears are too. They're not all the same.
0: Yeah. you. um, One of the things that really got me about you is the first time we talked on the phone you started to go into this conversation automatically. You just kind of started talking about bears, and I was like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait. Let's let's record this, so I can tell that you really have this crazy passion for it." Now, you just retired, correct?
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that's uh, how many years in of handling bears? Well, I had uh, handled bears uh, in both uh, winter dens and uh, and trapping in the spring for 38 years running and, uh, I still trap in the spring and I, I did do uh, a little bit of den work since I retired. So semi retired, I, I'm still handling bears, but, um, I'd like to be able to handle bears until I can't, you know, it's, it's just, there's something about it that to me, it's a dream job that, um, the physical rigors of the den work, 13 weeks of riding sleds and um, snowshoeing with packs on your back all 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 winter long, basically, that was starting to get tough on my body, and I didn't want to hold people back, you yeah. know, because physically it was very demanding at the end of it. It's, it's not that I wanted to get done because... I, I, if my back would hold up and everything would hold up, I would do it forever, you know? There's wow. Nothing better.
0: So tell, tell me, tell me why, like why bears?
1: Oh, I don't know. I kind of lucked into it. Uh, but, uh, I do think that bears are in, in my mind, the most fascinating of all the animals that live here in Maine, uh, I was born and raised here in Maine and, I find them to be the most interesting of all the animals that live here. So, um, I just, just kind of lucky to get my toe in the door and, and, uh, because of my woodsmanship skills, I believe that's, that's how I actually got a start in the business. And then, um, I just kept trying to do the best job I could. And, um, mm-hmm. it was, um, uh, It was a career, uh, like a dream for me. Um, You know, one of those things that I look forward to every day. I mean, people would say, Tell me your favorite uh, experience, you know, all these years and all these events happening. And uh, it's really hard to pick a favorite thing. Every day was uh, full of surprises, Um, there was no predicting. It uh, didn't matter if you have gone to a bear that you'd gone to for 25 years in a row. You still don't know what's going to happen when you get there. And it's, you know, you go to a bear den, you don't know what the den's going to be exactly like. You kind of know what the bear's preferences is, uh, what each bear's preference is for type of den and so forth. But it's, it's uh, every day is, is a surprise. So, um it's like sometimes just say what's your favorite day? Well, I think that may be tomorrow.
0: Wow, Wow, that's a that's, that's a cool statement. Um that right there tells that you have a lot of passion. Um was there a, was there a moment like when you were real young that you just said I I want to work with bears or or like how did it all happen?
1: Not really. Um it seemed like would to to me when I was younger it would seem like I I remember when I was in second grade and they asked everybody in the class you know what are you going to be when you grow up most people would say they're going to be a fireman or they're going to be whatever right Mm -hmm. all these normal things I said I want to be a wildlife biologist and there was nobody in the class really knew what that was but fortunately my parents had explained to me that that was there was such a thing, I and I knew when I was ten years old that that's what I wanted to do um, to actually be working with bears not I mean that wasn't like something I said that's what I want to do uh, I wanted to work as a wildlife biologist and work with wildlife and I had a fascination with outdoors and wildlife in general. And I believe I would have been satisfied with a lot of different um, careers in wildlife biology, but um, I don't think anything would have matched uh, working with bears. you know, very lucky,
0: I see. So we're on two opposite sides of the spectrum. You are you, you're world renowned from what, from what Keel told me, and also Lee, who's the moose specialist. That you're world-renowned when it comes to bears, you've put your hand on more bears than anyone else,
1: and me—I've never even seen a bear. <laughs> well, you're a lot more like everybody else out there. That I'm the I'm the oddball here. This, this is uh, not something that many people can say. Um, it's it's allowed me a unique opportunity to really. Try to get inside the bears' heads a little bit and kind of understand these bears at a level that almost nobody would ever have that opportunity. You know, it's just a very fortunate that way.
0: Yeah. I, I also on the phone when we were talking, you started to go in. This that's when I told you to stop. I was like, please stop. Let me let me <laughs> record this. Uh, you started to go into communicating or the bears trying to communicate with you. And, like, they're trying to communicate with you. If you said, if, if this is what you said, this, this is what I remember. They're trying to communicate with you like you're a bear.
1: That's is, right. Is there? Is, it's like, it's like uh, if, if you speak Spanish but you don't speak English, you're going to try to communicate in Spanish. Well, the bears speak bear, you know. Yeah. So they try to communicate as they would to another bear. And it's mostly physical uh, posturing and so forth. It's, uh, typically not, they're very vocal animals, but they typically don't try to, uh, communicate with humans, uh, vocally, uh, other than, uh, kind of warnings, uh, you know, like huffs and, and, uh, um, jaw popping, which is a, you know where they clamp their jaws together and make a popping noise yeah Um, i've seen
0: that in videos is that that jaw popping like you said it's uh like posturing are they trying to tell you stay away or Mm -hmm. or with that
1: what are they saying yeah they're they're uncomfortable with the situation but most of the bears i work with in maine uh they're they're basically their behavior is a result of a over three hundred years of persecution, you know, most of the history of people and bears in Maine has been at odds. You know, mm-hmm. most of uh, most of that time, generations and generations of bears, bears were looked at as a a, a nuisance animal that uh, caused problems with livestock and crops. Primarily, over all that time, it was it would be. Agricultural uh, situation that people didn't feel like they could share either their crops or their livestock with predators, mm. um, and so bears were persecuted. Basically, we had a bounty on bears until 1957 mm. in in Maine, and uh, and they were eliminated at every at every opportunity. Starting in nineteen sixty seven, sixty nine, in in this state, uh, they became a big game animal, and as such, uh, had were were more valued as as an animal on the landscape, and became, I think, uh, one of our highest profile big game animals at this point. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you were saying that they were. Uh, persecuted and and um, and tried to be eliminated every 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 probably every site every time they were seen but yet they thrive here right yeah
1: yeah and the biggest reason is uh that even though a lot uh, a large portion of the coast was settled and cleared for farmland uh most of maine remained semi-wilderness and uh it was uh uh impossible to uh, actually eliminate bears in that situation. But after you remove all the trees or most of the trees and turn it into cropland or pasture land, uh, at that point, you know, they didn't have a lot of places left to, to hide. So the coastal portions of Maine where most of the farming was done, uh, bears were eliminated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a big state and, uh, over half the state never, never was cleared.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is my first time in Maine. I, I just landed, uh, this morning, as you know, <laughs> and, um, driving through, I've never seen a state so green. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been Oregon, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, Florida, like, and I mean, in really thick, like forests and, and I've never, everywhere is green. I don't know if it's because of the places I'm going, but most of no. Maine is green, yes? Yeah, oh, absolutely.
1: We are uh, the most heavily forested state in the contiguous United States. So wow. um, we, you know, we're 91% forested. Wow.
0: Do you think that bears are overlooked here um, in the rest of the United States? Is is it more of a local type of situation or do you have a lot of hunters coming in from other
1: states to hunt or we do we we have uh uh, a really well-developed uh guide system commercial operators set up uh to guide bear hunters in maine and and it's really taken root uh probably built up to the level where it is now, uh, in the seventies and the eighties. Uh, so it is, it, we have quite a network of, of main guides that, uh, offer bear hunting and, and mostly we're a one, uh, one day drive from a huge population in the Northeast. And so we get a lot of hunters from, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, there's a lot of hunters in Pennsylvania um, and in Massachusetts and all those states, uh, they, they come to hunt bears in Maine. It's, it's, uh, it's well known as a destination for bear hunting.
0: I see. Yeah, that's me just not knowing, just being out west and that kind of thing. You, you, um, you hear about all those states for bear Mm. but uh, you you really don't hear about the East Coast very mm. much uh elk too I mean elk has been reintroduced in some of these other states, not Maine, of course, but um there's some trophy elk in like Virginia and Kentucky and you know and, Pennsylvania yeah, and yeah, Pennsylvania, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, the reintroduction, so I almost feel like it there those states are a little overlooked you know uh, you know throughout the u s but i didn't know too much about Maine. And with the just the very first glance, it's like wow, this is a like a treasure chest of hunting out here. There's, I and even I I overlooked deer. I was like, yeah. there's got to be a lot of deer. And then somebody at the airport told me, yeah, there's more deer here than almost anywhere else. And I was like, well, I guess that makes sense now. When I was driving through, um, so is that on deer for a second? Is that I would think it's a big uh, source of food for the bears. Is the is the calves or no?
1: No. Uh, well, fawns and calves uh, do make up, you know, part of the bear's diet, but uh, very small part, as it turns out. Um, they really have an abundance of food choices uh, in the state. Um, in probably somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty-five percent of their uh, their food intake is is vegeta- vegetation of different types, whether it's berries or nuts and and such. And of the 15% that's left over uh, of animal origin, a high percentage of it is like insect or- origin. So, mm. uh, or possibly scavenged uh, and a fairly small percentage uh turns out to be uh, predation you know it's a it's a fairly our bears are not very pre- predatory here uh, mm-hmm. they don't need to be they they get what they need uh, without actually hunting a lot and they they uh, opportunistically do and uh, probably moose calves a little more than deer fawns over much of the state because uh, the part of the state that has the highest bear densities. Has lower deer densities, but they also have pretty high bear dens. I mean, moose density, mm-hmm. um, and uh, beavers are probably a big part of uh, that whole picture too, mm-hmm. uh, as, as in terms of the small percentage that is made up of, of predation. Um, so, but yeah, they're not as predatory as a lot of people might think because they are. Equipped to be able to kill things, but they are opportunists, which means that they, they, every day their job every day is to go out and get the best quality food, the highest caloric content that they can get that day, Mm -hmm. uh, spending the least amount of calories. And when you're surrounded by say raspberries or blackberries or blueberries at that time of year that's what they're eating Mm. Um, they're not even thinking about meat they're just eating that abundance and in in the fall uh, as the fall approaches hard mass starts to become on the menu so you have uh, beech hazelnut and uh, um, beech nuts and and acorns uh, when, when they are available so yeah it's a uh yeah for an animal that has the equipment and ability of killing a lot of different things they don't kill animals that much for food it's it's uh it, it happens on occasion and um uh, yeah it's a smaller pirate than people might think
0: mm-hmm. now that's just main bears or do you know i mean you spent all your time here do you know the comparison of Maine bears versus uh, bears out west or bears in, let's say, even Russia or in Alaska? Is there a big difference there? Would you know that?
1: Yeah, I, I do, but uh, I prefer not to talk about uh, different populations too much because this, you know, the the Maine bear is, of course, what I really understand the best. But I think most states. Uh, that would be true. Most diet studies are very similar. That mm-hmm. the bears are taking the low-hanging fruit, the easy. Um, that sounds like a pun, but unintended. The, uh, <laughs> um, you know, certain foods are in such great abundance I that see. for the for those bears, what their job today is to go out and get the best that they can get and spend the least amount of calories and it's a sure thing they're surrounded by um food and fairly good quality food so they don't they can get nearly the same protein levels from sedge when it's very digestible in the spring so for a couple of months they're eating things like clover and sedge uh which grows in the wet meadows and they're getting uh a quality food without working that hard and they're surrounded by it i see yeah so
0: depending on the season whatever wherever they are doesn't matter what it is typically it's just they're trying to fill their bellies with the best nutrients
1: that's correct and and they're experts at it yeah. so if the bears if if you watch a bear and he's eating joey today all the other bears are eating jewelweed, too, today. Ah. And today, jewelweed's the best thing to eat, <laughs> okay? So it changes throughout the season. So it's really hard to, like, pick out, like, the top 10 bear f- foods. I see. I mean, you could say, what's the top 10 bear foods in in May? Or what's the top 10 fi- bear foods in August? And they're very different, you mm-hmm. know? And they're different in different parts of the state as well because some things aren't available in extreme Northern Maine that might be available in more in central Maine or Eastern Maine. So, um, it's, uh, it's a very complex thing, mm-hmm. but for the bear, they, they basically have it figured out. I mean, it's their job, they're experts at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I think that's probably a silly way to say it's their job, but that's what they do for six, seven months. And then they spend five or six months without eating. Yeah. And, um, uh, so it's it's an interesting lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Um wow. So that's a good point there the hibernation. Um again as far as I know that you know you don't know you know about other areas but um you know mostly about Maine. Would you know if your hibernation is any different than any others or they're pretty much the same time since? Same- you know same same amount of time
1: no it really is different uh our winters are longer than a lot of the states south of us um and so our hibernation period it's longer uh what drives them into the den is uh, a prolonged period of expending more calories uh collecting food uh than you get out of the food, so you get into a negative energy balance. And when that uh, that balance goes, it could be because there's a foot of snow and it's more difficult to forage. It may still be nuts on the ground, but just walking through the the snow and digging through the snow to get the nuts, at some point, the the calories that you expend getting the nuts is greater than the 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 calories that are in the nuts so at that point if that's an extended period of time that drives the bear into hibernation so what happens is the bear uh basically there's a switch that flips in the bear and it just starts getting lazy and 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 it's uh going into what we call walking hibernation so they're um it's not a, a something that they do consciously. It's a physical thing, a physiological thing that happens in their body. That uh-huh. the body recognizes you're actually losing ground here. There's right. still food, but if you keep doing this, you're losing ground. You wow. need if you're not gaining fat, you're losing fat. It's time to shut down. And what? when and so they shut down, and they're able to save energy, and uh, by all their body processes shut down, mm-hmm. and so uh, takes so it's so almost like suspended a- animation. It takes very little energy to get in a in this state of torpor that they go into. Which What's is, it called? Well, uh, torpor. Uh, people argue about this semantics. Uh, it's not true hibernation like what we think of for ground squirrels and a lot of hibernators like bats and so forth. What bears do is completely unique to bears. What they do in the winter, no other animal does anything exactly like like what bears do in the winter. But they're able to uh, reduce their um, their their energy output to a point where their their heart's only beating like six or eight times per minute. And they're breathing only once or twice per minute. Wow. And so their body is shut way down. Their body temperature will go down about 10 to 12 degrees below normal. And uh, so this takes very little energy. And they're able to live off the fat that they've accumulated during the summer. Mm. And the reason why they don't need to drink is that they, they actually get m- metabolic water from when they process the fat. And the reason why they don't have to urinate is that they're able to take the urine, they're the only animal that can do this, but take the urine and break it into its components and produce protein. And so they don't lose muscle mass during their denning period. Just fat? Just fat. And so they actually gain muscle mass. Why can't we do that? (laughs) <laughs> well, see, it's, it's it's very interesting to people in the medical field. Uh, yeah. And, you know, even space travel and, you know, how do you... There, there are people that are studying longevity in humans and uh, trying to understand how bears just kind of put everything on hold like that. That is fascinating. A normal you know, their bodies aren't that different from ours in most respects, but when they go into this sort of situation, it's very unique to bears and they're able to maintain bone density, muscle, uh, density and, uh, form Because for us. If we were inactive for five months, um, we would lose, uh, bone density. Uh, we would have, uh, uh, problems with uh, bed sores, all kinds of problems mm-hmm. that we would have. And also, without any sunlight, they'll go into a hole. So they'll they be in a hole a lot of times for five months and not have any sunlight. No problems with vitamin D, which most animals would have problems. So they've uh, evolved to work all these problems out. I, I don't really... Uh the, the physiological aspects are fascinating and I'm not an expert on on that, uh, per se. I think there were people who studied different portions of the physiological things and trying to unlock some of the secrets that might be applied to human medicine or or mm-hmm. whatever. So but I'm not particularly into that. I'm just pointing it out that they're pretty pretty yeah. amazing animals
0: no what you just told me is like jaw dropping like i didn't know any of that i mean i know they hibernate but i mean six beats a minute one one to two breaths a minute yeah they just shut right down recycling urine into protein
1: that's insane yeah wow that's 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 crazy yeah it's hard it's 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 most of it's sort of almost unbelievable because in the mammal world there's no other animal that can do that Hmm. and so that's that's what it's you know it makes bears an interesting uh, model to try to study and unlock some of those secrets what's going on there yeah
0: now is that with all the bear species and subspecies like polar bear uh, grizzly bear black bear like-
1: yeah pretty much i mean it's it's there's eight different bear species there they're they're all very uh quite a bit in in different uh different ways but uh pretty much all the bears have the similar uh, things uh, it's it's quite different with polar bears but uh grizzly bears are very similar those are the three bears that, that occupy the north american continent mm-hmm. um And there's five others around the world, and and some of those are very similar to our black bear. You know, the Asiatic black bear, and um, there there's no black there's no bears on South American continent, but um, in the other parts of the world, Mm. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Have you because you're so close to the Canadian border here? Have you seen any grizzlies come down?
1: No. Uh, in the on the east Coast uh, even in the, uh, close to the Arctic region, the subarctic alpine country, uh, there were very few uh, grizzly bears or brown bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, brown bear is a better term. it's a general term for that species that's actually circumpolar mm-hmm. um, and they tend to live in more open habitats. Uh, so there never were brown bears here because it's not it's very thick mm-hmm. it's always been um the brown bears occupy typically uh a donut around the north pole that's a little higher latitude where it's uh, a lot more open country
0: mm-hmm. so brown bears is a better term it's definitely. a better term
1: says so all these uh subspecies of brown bears uh they're all one species all around. Whether you're in Siberia or, or Poland or Czechoslovakia, they're, they're bears all around. Um, uh, Alaska across, across the water in, mm. in Russia and Siberia, and they're they're all the same species. But they, you know, typically people uh, talk about the grizzly bear. Um, like a Rocky Mountain grizzly, that's a subspecies, The bear and ground grizzlies, a subspecies, the brown bear. But they're all the same species, yeah.
0: That's hmm. um, going to be a silly question, but has has there ever been a case or is there even a way that a, a, a brown bear and a black bear can mate?
1: I don't think I've ever, I, I know I've never heard of uh, that hybrid Um I think that uh the polar bear, which is also circumpolar um and and grizzly bears or brown bears have interbred and and created hybrids, yeah, really, but most most of they're mostly geographically separated, so they don't bump into each other a lot I see uh, but you know if a whale washes up it's kinda on the fringe of where. Uh, Polar bears uh, reside, and and some brown bears also reside. You might see brown bears and polar bears feeding on the same whale carcass. So they do overlap a little, uh, not much, Mm -hmm. and there has been several instances of hybrids being uh, created from those two. Mm -hmm. Um, Polar bear is genetically evolutionarily closer related to a black bear than a brown bear but um, but they're well separated
0: yeah you can almost see that in their structure like the structure mm. of their head and neck right mm. Mm. I mean they they're just black bear anyway are just a lot of obviously a lot smaller mm. and then the, the the polar bear is just longer just bigger mm. and longer mm. but when I look at the head I get what you're saying it's like wow the the structure of the head looks similar earth skull Mm. right
1: yeah the uh polar is really a marine mammal um and and they they actually live in the ocean black bear of course is is a woodland animal Mm. uh the, the brown bear is more of a open like we used to have a plains grizzly in in north america that lived in the plains and uh Everywhere where it's more open, uh, high elevation in the Rockies, where it's more open habitat, um, and some of the areas in the, what I'd call subalpine, like the barren ground grizzly across Canada, mostly west of Hudson Bay, however.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, have you heard of that short faced bear?
1: Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Cape bear, yeah. What's it called?
0: Cave bear, cave bear, yeah. Do you know anything about them? Like they're they're well, because I... it seems like if those things were living today, we <laughs> <Yeah>. we wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, evolutionarily that's going back quite a ways. Uh, I would say the brown bear resembles them the closest, probably, but uh, not that closely.
0: Mm-hmm. That was a big animal. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that. I don't see how that thing became extinct. I mean, you know how <laughs> everything was big back. Then. Who's gonna kill that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but who's gonna kill T. Rex? Right. Yeah. A meteor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, wow, man. This that, just so far, you've told me so much. It, that's just crazy. You were ta- when you were talking about the hybrids, though. The first thing that came to mind is the color phase the color phase bears. Yeah. Does, does Maine have those? And is that, what is that color phase? That well, can, That's not the hybrid, is it?
1: No, it's not. Uh, no, I mean, even though we call it uh, the black bear, uh, uh, in a lot of parts of the country, especially in the Western states, the more open the habitat, the more common color phase is. So as you get closer to, uh, brown bear habitat you're you're getting into more and more open habitat hmm. and the more open the habitat the more likely that your bear's going to be some shade of brown or reddish color or some off color from black but when you were in the heavier wooded areas like Maine they're almost all black i mean i've seen uh probably close to 4000 different bears that I've handled in our study. And and from all that, I've seen maybe six or eight dark chocolate bears. They were not black, but they were very dark chocolate. And you almost had to have a sibling next to them to see the difference. That's how dark they were. Mm. Um, So it's pretty rare. I think Eastern Maine historically had a little more and I suspect that's uh, due to the uh, about ten thousand years worth of uh, blueberry barrens, more open country. Mm. Um, New Brunswick had a little bit more, but it's pretty rare on the east coast in general. Mm. Is it sun? Is that what you mean then? Well, it's it's open habitat. So if if the habitat, it has to be wooded to have black bears. Has to have some forest component to it because mm-hmm. uh, black bears never lived on the plains they always lived where there were some forest some wooded areas um, but if it's if it's more open habitat like a lot of the western states uh, then it's evolutionarily it favors uh, the potential anyway for lighter colored bears uh, as far as like Blending into the environment, being black in an open habitat is not as, oh, as as advantageous as being in the deep woods where it's thick and it's shadows and everything's dark, you know. And so um, I think that's the evolutionary explanation for that uh, phenomenon, which is just there everything from almost blonde-colored, Black bears all the way through. Um, there's some areas of the west coast where they have the spirit bear. Um, spirit bear? Yeah, the bear, the white bear. It's huh. uh, It's only a portion of the population, like in one island, uh, uh, that has maybe thirty percent white bears. And um, where is that? Uh, it's Washington State, I think. Uh, I see. I can't think of the name of the island. Um, Kermode. Um, And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but yeah, there's a... It's over on the coast? There's a subspecies of black bears that have a percentage of of them are actually white. And they're referred to by the Native Americans at the time, I believe, as as a spirit bear. And sometimes people call... And there's the rarest actual... Probably the rarest, I think, is the Glacier Bear. Uh, it's a blue, kind of a blue-gray. Uh, call him the blue bear. S- still today? A glacier Bear, yeah. A Glacier Bear, wow. Yeah. And like a blue color. Yeah, kind of a gray-blue kind of tint to it, yeah. It's kind of, it's it's probably the rarest of, of the, the color phases.
0: I see. Now, um, size of that bear? Same.
1: I mean, just a regular black like bear. Like a black bear. Yeah, just coloration's different. I see. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't even know that a blue a blue yeah. bear. Yeah. Bears are physically... Black bears are very similar across the range in terms of their potential to get big, uh, but every bear has different uh, genetics in terms of uh, physical characteristics. So you have i i tell people and i know this is terrible but it's like you have uh i'm from new england so i say vince wilfork and uh nobody knows who that is anymore but i know, do he's a big guy i do and so you have <laughs> or you have shaquille o'neal and you have spud webb yeah, Right? yeah you know who Spud Webb is yeah he's he's a yeah, basketball yeah. player He's to play for the hawks yeah yeah, yeah. so He's a great athlete, obviously. He's only like five seven, right? It's hard to believe he didn't even look that tall. But anyway, so you have this wide range, a wider range among humans, I think, than you do in in wild animals. But you still have you still have bears that have the potential for growing bigger and bears like I say small boned or big boned, you know, you mm-hmm. you will see that amongst the females that i dealt with a lot of females and uh it's um it's it's fairly significant differences in their in their makeup you know in terms of you can tell right away if you've got a bear that just never will be that big you know and uh i've i've caught like 20 year old males that they're never going to get any bigger that only weigh like two hundred and eighty pounds or so, and I've had twenty pound—I mean, twenty-year-old males that weigh four hundred pounds. Same time of year, you know, they're just that much bigger. Yeah. Uh, but all of our bears have a lot of potential for being heavy. Um, It's—it uh, has a lot to do with food, but it also has to do with genetics and. You see the same thing with a lot of different animals, whether it's a deer or or a moose or whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. Now you've put your hands on. We just talked about how many bears you put your hands on, just pretty much world record amount. Now, do you hunt bear?
1: I have. Yeah, you have. Yeah, there is there is nothing better eating that you can get, in my opinion, because you know you can always argue about what you you. You know, I like lobster. Maybe you don't like lobster, right? Mm-hmm. They used to feed the prisoners in Maine lobster, and they had a law that you could only feed them twice a week or something like that. It's, it was considered, they used it for feeding the hogs and stuff. It was considered low-end, you know, food. Yeah. But now it's like, <laughs> you know, it's weird how things change. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, taste, uh, people sometimes act like venison is like all that. Well, I grew up on deer meat. It it didn't seem that special to me, but so it's hard to say what, um, to, to say, oh yeah, bear meat's the best meat that you can get. Uh, in my opinion, yes, absolutely. There is nothing, nothing beats bear ribs. And it's like, I like ribs. I love bear ribs. Mm. Bear's the best, but, uh, To me, if it's what I have to compare it to, mostly, I grew up on wild game. That's all I ate as a kid, and that's all we ate as a family. Um, And, um, yeah, we didn't didn't have bear where I grew up, and so it wasn't something we had as an option, um, because we hunted close to home, Uh, but... Uh, boy once i got on to bear meat i was like man this is the best better than moose better than uh, deer well
0: wow. now that depends on what they're eating right
1: well you might say that i've never had a bad bear it's <laughs> it's like i uh, mean just uh, yeah, yeah i don't know i mean maybe you could you could tell i mean basically we're we're mostly harvesting bears that are eating either nuts or berries at that point in the season, mostly, mostly. But people harvest bears in Maine on the Indian lands in the spring, and uh, and I've heard a lot of good things. I've never eaten a spring bear, but I've heard a lot of good things about them, and they've just been eating uh, greens you know they've been eating vegetation in i world. see
0: yeah. is it way different than they talk about the grizzlies eating salmon yeah it tastes like yeah. fish and stuff well yeah.
1: i wouldn't be surprised if that would be true yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I haven't tried it
0: now um so two things that uh, this popped into my head one is you mentioned the native americans i didn't, I didn't realize there's a, a big population here kind of or
1: yeah yeah we qu- quite a few uh we have three tribes in maine and uh, they have a certain amount of uh, land that... They have two different types of land, but there's a certain type of land that they can hunt in the spring with their mm-hmm. own regulations. Uh, we, we, on the rest of the state, we're not allowed to hunt bears in the spring at this point. Um, but we did hunt bears in the spring for years and years and years. Um,
0: and What happened?
1: Um, well, um, it was... <sighs> There was concern about overharvest at the time. And then, so how do you uh, reduce the harvest to a sustainable level? Um, wanted to protect the population. And it turned out uh, it's a political thing, but they wound up favoring the fall hunt versus the spring hunt. It could have gone the other way, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we are left with the fall hunt now until 1981 was the last spring hunt, um, 1981. And, and after that's been fall only for, mm. for me. Uh,
0: the reason why I wanted to mention, uh, um, and that's a whole nother topic I want to dive into to the spring and the, the fall. Cause they took away spring recently in Washington right? and, uh, all, you know, a lot of bear hunters were upset. Um, you know, in some in some ways rightfully so. But um what I the reason why I mentioned the the Native American uh part of that is that the the bear is is revered in that in that culture. Right. I mean, um to a to a very high degree, uh, if not the highest. That's and, right. And then your your passion for it is on a whole nother level and your respect for it is on a whole nother level as well could could you even put that into words as to why
1: no um i think the similarities between physically between a bear and humans uh is part of that but i think that the native americans understood also uh, more than just the physical similarities that there was a lot of um behavioral sim- similarities uh So, because bears spend a lot of, compared to most other big game animals, let's say, uh, they spend more time with their offspring, for instance. They spend more time teaching their young what they need to know to to carry on on their own. And um, because 16 months, I mean, they only produce cubs every other year. So, they spend better part of two years with one group of offspring one litter and most animals don't most animals just spend uh, like deer or moose they just spend one year and then the next year they're they're producing more calves or fawns and and going on so there's a lot more uh, potential for uh, information transfer from the mother to the Offspring, mm-hmm. um, which I think you know is not, it, aside from the physical similarities between humans and bears, um, there there's that you know uh, to go along with it. The mother's taking care of the young for a longer period of time, and, mm-hmm. um, but uh, if you you know we were talking about hibernation, or you look at that. Um, that would be amazing to these Native Americans, indigenous people would look at that as a pretty amazing event, just like you and I do.
0: Supernatural.
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: Yeah. So and that's that's got to be part of it. Um, I've heard people speak about bears like you're speaking about them in a very spiritual way. Um, I've heard hunters say that they've had bears in their scope and watched the bear and watch the bear and watch the bear. And you're there to bear, he, he or she was there to bear hunt. Right. And they wouldn't, they won't shoot that particular bear for whatever reason right. but by watching its mannerisms. That gets me all kind of choked up inside a little bit. You yeah. Know? Sure. And, uh, I don't know why, I mean, I think I know why that is, but it seems that they're, like you say, they're very close to us. in in how they behave and uh, like you say their mannerisms people even say I I, of course like I've never skinned one out but when they're hanging they look like a man like Mm -hmm. hanging there and that so it's a very um, I even have a friend of mine that I told I told them that I was going to go hunting and they told me I don't think that you'll be able to shoot a bear and I I said well I don't know Uh, I couldn't say for certain but I certainly want to be out there you know I Mm -hmm. I feel like my ancestors were out there hunting, you know, and maybe even hunting bears, I don't know. But that's kind of where we came from, so I feel like I need to put myself in that uh that environment to see if I can do it, you know? But um it seems like it it might be tough.
1: Mhm. Yeah, definitely. I think all all of hunting is uh very spiritual to a degree. I think bear hunting is maybe a little bit of a step above, uh, to me, it's the, sort of the, the ultimate, uh, uh in terms of hunting, but and it's like a lot of things that's so subjective. And, but I think it, it, uh, it does, uh, really impact people. Um, I've had, I've, Guided hunters for bear, and I've had hunters that have hunted all over the world, you know, in African safaris and whatever, and I've had people say, you know, there was nothing that compared to that that bear hunt in all of their hunting that they did. So it was, it, it is, uh, it really touches you. Uh, it's, it's a very, um, I don't know what the what the terms i can't think of the terms that i want but it's a very powerful very powerful thing bear hunting to me it is and i think it is to a lot of people i think it, and and it's like hunting in general though that if you haven't done it it's pretty hard to understand the feelings yeah that, that well up in you yes you know in that situation you're a predator like our ancestors a lot of them were um and when you're in that situation it's is not as watching something on TV it's in completely different and very powerful yeah uh, yeah it experience. really is. It's yeah yeah and, and and i think most hunters it's interesting because you're hunting a predator what people think of it it it, it is in the order of carnivore kind of even though, as I say, it's mostly herbivorous in terms of its diet, it's still a predator. And it's still an animal that's equipped to kill things, including you if, if you were unarmed in a situation that uh, where a bear took it upon himself, and black bears are famous for this, to decide that you're, you're a potential prey item. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's... Uh, that's a that adds to the the power of the whole experience. I think it's something very visceral. It's I think almost instinctive that people have that they recognize that this isn't like a you know, a moose that eats, you know, lily pads. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a predator and a big predator and a powerful animal.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um that brings me to a, a point where I've had this conversation with a couple of people and I've seen this, this same kind of topic discussed and it's, you are, you love something so much. Like you obviously love bears. I mean, that's obvious, And but you're, you're still gonna, you're still gonna kill that animal and, uh, you know, bring it home and eat it. And that, and the, the eating part is one thing, but somebody who doesn't hunt would, would, would still question that.
1: How can you do that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. How can yeah. you, how can you kill something that you revere that you, uh, you've studied for 40 years that you mm-hmm. love so much? How can you put that thing to death? You right. know, um, I, I know why I know how I, I, in some ways, I don't know that i could even put it into words
1: could you uh no i it's it's very difficult it it is uh to me uh i i revere the bear you know i admire them in so many ways um and i i i can't uh but they' they're, they're it's very difficult for me to explain how I can go out and shoot a deer, too. You know, it's, hunting in general is hard for people to wrap their head around because um, you love all wildlife and, and you respect all wildlife. And it's um, being part of the, just part of the, I don't know the circle of life. I guess. I mean, I grew up on wild game. You know, it's not. Uh, it's it. You know, I didn't really. I never really even thought of it as a choice. It was how we fed our family. You know, it was, and it was normal. Like it may not sound normal to people, but it was normal in the environment I grew up with. Every family me did the same thing they, mm-hmm. they went out and collected uh natural resources it, it's the difference between going and picking a, a bunch of uh say blueberries or cranberries that grow wild and going out and shooting uh, rough grouse it's it's not that different to me in collecting food mm-hmm. and sustenance you know and but at the same time it's very different and because you are taking a life whenever mm-hmm. you're going hunting uh, that's the uh that's the object of that game and uh it's so different like for instance uh photographing or video videotaping wild animals you know is this it's exciting and it, it has a certain element of excitement to it, but it's completely different than when you're there to harvest that animal. Yes. And, 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 and take it for your sustenance. And um, so you're in, in, I'm part of the, the ecosystem, you know, is the way I look. I don't look at people as some outside thing looking at this uh, natural world. Um, I, I feel like I'm part of it as a hunter. And so there's, um, for instance, and one thing I've tried to explain to people is that bear numbers really should be managed. And that was part of my job was to try to figure out how many bears should be taken out of the population every year for the benefit of the bear population as a whole. And it's it's kind of hard to explain, but sometimes I'll I'll tell people, okay, let's say you have a hundred acre field that you own, and you want to raise cattle on that. You can raise, let's say, you can raise a hundred uh, different uh, animals in a hundred acres. If you allowed that. You know, and you're having calves every spring. If you allowed that to go up to 200, your animals would be all sick and dying of starvation. You would get arrested and put in jail for, or fined for, for animal cruelty. Well, it's sort of the same thing with bears. You can only feed so many bears, and then the number one uh, cause of death is going to be starvation. But, of course, d- disease... It, it all works together. So, you, you know, you have disease will start to break out different, different things and, and bears will die and they'll have trouble producing young and, and raising them. And all of that, in my opinion, is, I know it's natural bears killing other bears. It's their, 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 their own greatest predator, um, and starving to death is normal, normal thing. It just to me, it doesn't seem like the best situation for the bears. I'm one that's had had to look these bears in the face, that are dying. They're dying from starvation, and it's and it's pretty powerful to put a collar on a year old female bear that weighs 22 pounds that should weigh about 40 pounds and then come back two months later and, and pick the collar up and investigate the, the body to see if it was killed by something or if it just, just killed over from starvation. And and that's the type of thing that I know is normal, and it happens certain years, worse than other years, but it's still hard to, to see that and not think maybe we can prevent that from happening and I, I'm pretty I, I feel pretty good about what my job was and what we've done here in Maine and, and the health of the population in general. Starvation is not the number one cause of death among bears in Maine mm-hmm. and many bears live to, into their 20s and even their 30s here.
0: That's good management.
1: That's what I think um, <laughs> I think if you know if, like if you had a fenced in area and it was your job, you would have to remove a certain number of bears every year to keep enough food to go around so everybody's healthy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's part of it. That's the big part of it that a lot of people don't understand that don't hunt. Mm-hmm. There's that um, you love that animal, whether it's a bear, elk, or deer, or whatever, but you're still going to harvest that animal, not just to feed your family, but you're doing it because you're also, you understand that there's a certain amount of what they call carrying capacity, I guess. That's that's correct, yeah. That that needs to be on the landscape, and that's another thing that I... It's almost like a redundant thing that I talk about to all the biologists. Mm -hmm. Like, that always pops up, because I always want to ask that question about uh, hunting, because most of the biologists are hunters, too, and I love to hear that love versus... Not even versus, but that love intertwined with hunting... The love of the animal, the study of the animal, and the the fact that I hunt that animal too, right. and for some reason that to me is just just completely fascinating. It takes it a whole different level than I want to say just a hunter, mm-hmm. but but you're on a completely different plane. You know, like when I walked in and you were you and your wife were talking about the first time you guys went out on a date. You guys went uh, bird hunting. Crazy, and I just yeah. thought that was so cool. You know, <laughs> it's like you're both biologists, and you, you went bird hunting together <laughs> you
1: know and we didn't shoot any birds yeah. that day but we tried well you guys were
0: you guys were your minds were on something else <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's great i love to hear that because again it's a whole different level than where i am where i am you 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 know so much about the animal but you're you're also harvesting the animal too so when you talk about hunting it takes it to just a different place like mm-hmm yeah just uh yeah and a more educated place a more educated discussion on hunting rather than someone like myself or you know or anyone who just grew up hunting yeah they understand and almost in some ways i've met a lot of people that are, could be honorary not
1: honorary biologists but pretty close i mean yeah, they, they're yeah. really into it you have to really understand your prey you know it's more you know the, it's still a challenge. It's always a challenge. And the more that you know, the the more you can tip the odds in your favor. But in general, for an individual hunter and an individual bear, the bear wins most of the time.
0: Oh, yeah. That's
1: yeah. true. That's yeah. true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because they, you're in their bedroom, right? That's right. You're,
1: yeah. They, they've got a lot of facilities, uh, faculties, I think is the word I should have said, uh, that that, you know, we're like noseblind to a bear, you know, for instance. Uh, our vision is very similar. You know, a bear can see it very similar to what we can see. They're a little bit nearsighted, but not nearly as bad as people make out. They're able to hear better than us. Their sense of smell is legendary, you know. That's
0: and what they, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, they they are equipped to protect themselves very well.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears for a minute. Um, talking about when I came in, and you were telling you, you and your wife were telling me that story about the, um, you know, uh, how you met and that um, she's a, a biologist as well. That's correct, and she works for uh, Bass,
1: the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. U.S. US yep. Fish
0: and Wildlife. And what I love about our conversation now is that we talked about an hour before we even pressed record yeah. <laughs> went to a school yeah. Yeah. and so i know a little bit about you and your wife and i think that's amazing but there's something that uh after speaking with you know the, the few biologists that i have and um visiting with them and uh, and all of them uh, uniformly so far have been hunters you and your wife now uh c- completes it it's like what six for six of the people that i've met everybody's <laughs> a biologist and a hunter and But there's this, how can I put this, this is, there's this kindness, there's this respect, there's this, um, there's this difference in the type of people that you are, uh, hunters, uh, and maybe it's that hybrid of biologists as well, but mostly um, the fact that you're hunters as well. There's, there's not just a respect for wildlife. I feel like there's like there's a there's this family component too. There's this respect for maybe uh just a transfer a transfer of respect into your own home. Does, mm-hmm. does that
1: Yeah, well i I think that hunters revere their their game animals that they pursue on a much more a deeper personal mm-hmm. level. From people who just maybe try to get pictures, or just just to see things, you know, as hunters, we see. You know, you may be sitting on a on a stand in a tree to uh, to shoot a bear, but while you're there, you're watching a spider make a web. Okay, when would you sit in the woods and watch a spider make a web? <laughs> You wouldn't. They would, they would think you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And people do that. Naturalists probably do that. But hunters are seeing things like that all the time. And it's just you're you're part of nature. You couldn't sit in the woods. Uh, I guess you could. I mean, I guess you could sit in the woods and people wouldn't call you crazy. But when you sit in the woods with a gun, people say, well, he's hunting. But while you're there... You're watching the birds and the squirrels and everything go back to normal all around you while you're sitting on a stand. And it's an amazing thing that the, the little things that you notice that you would never notice. And, and I feel like the hunting kind of justifies this, what you're doing, that you're just sitting there being quiet and just like a stump, you know, you're not doing anything. But you're hunting, mm-hmm. and and you're you're enjoying nature as it just happens all around you. It could be it like I say a spider making a web, and you you it takes a spider two hours to make that web to catch insects. But who would just sit and watch a spider, or would ever think to do it? You know, mm-hmm. so you're you're doing something because you're sitting there with a gun on your lap, and you. You know, everyone's like he's he's normal. But if you were out there just sitting to watch spiders make their web or watch do whatever, you know, people would say that's kind of strange, don't you think?
0: Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think that that transfers into the home? Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Um
1: I don't know. I mean,
0: the only know. reason why I mentioned that is because I'm from. You. We talked about this again before we we uh, started the podcast, but like a late onset hunter i grew up in a completely different environment i mean we're sitting here in uh, all i can see through your windows is trees yeah and i'm sitting i'm we're sitting in your uh what looks to be a hunting lodge with wood everywhere and it's it's made by hand and it's beautiful and but i didn't grow up like this i didn't grow up in a rural area I was you know we moved around a lot and i i remember a lot of it being in the city all right that environment is completely just not just you know physically and geographically but that environment culturally right is so different than what i walked in here right you know your your son very respectful uh and very inquisitive and and um you know almost like speak when spoken to (laughs) type of situation uh and um do you see, I, I, I see it, I don't know if I could put it into words, but do you see a, a correlation between people who spend time out in the woods like we do or like you do, of, you know, your whole life and coming home and having that, this, this different kind of lifestyle? Or do you even know about that inner city lifestyle that I'm talking about?
1: Uh, no, it's, no, I don't really understand. I've never been forced to live like that. And it just seems miserable to me. And I think it would be for me, but it's what I know, you know, I grew up like this, so this is normal to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, it would be hard for me to, I, I feel like I would be thinking about the woods the whole time. If I was in that environment, I find that Even just going to, uh, you know, going on a canoe trip and and you have to stage out of some place like Montreal, let's say, and they're like, oh my God, you know, people actually live like this. But when you really come down to it, most people, this is weird. That's normal. Yeah. (laughs) That's not normal to me, but it's normal to most people. And, uh, this is not normal to most people, but it, it's the way I grew up, and, you know, I feel fortunate that that's the case, and uh, I know what you're saying, I think, is yeah. you look around, and you're like, you know, there's a caribou rack hanging on the wall there, and, uh, and a moose rack over there, and a bear over there, yeah. It's uh, you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't no. see
0: that usually in the city. No, And then the, the culture, the behavior, all that's really different, um, yeah. especially as we get we get um, closer and closer to um, a more uh, technology type mm-hmm. of situation where I mean, in, walking into a home in the inner city back when i was growing up is different now i mean everybody would have right. their phones and their technology cuz it's available to anybody right now but here when i walked in i haven't seen a tv on i haven't seen anybody look at their phones it's just very i i, I don't know how to explain it. it's just very the it's so much more personal mm-hmm. it's so the communication is so much different the attention span is so much longer Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost feel just as I was talking is and listening to you is uh, I feel like there almost should be like a class for people to come yeah. out <laughs> into yeah. into yeah. the forest.
1: Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I think you know the human species we are an animal and we evolved very differently from the way most people are living today, and that's a, it's. It's, you know, we, I think everybody has because they evolved from uh, a non, uh, oh, I can't think of my words, but the, the situation what most people live in today is very different from what 10 generations ago, people lived, you know, a completely different life and a hundred generations ago. So you, 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 you. You know, the human species, I think, is more adapted over time through generations to live outside in in this, this natural beauty and everything than than in the situation where most people live today. I think it's a physically, emotionally, mentally very difficult situation for people that mm-hmm. people live in. It would be for me because I'd have to adjust to it. Uh, for a lot of people, when you grow up that way, you don't know any different. It just seems normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and people in this video age and so forth, it's probably very normal to to be in that environment. But uh, it's still, I think, uh, evolutionary in in terms of way people evolved. They they evolved. To have nature part of their life. And I think that people are drawn to it. It's just scary to people uh, because it's it, they've been removed from it their entire lives. So it's like, it's, it's an adjustment to go th- that way. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, this is, see, you think this is kind of remote. Uh, to me, I live three hours from where I'd like to be most of the time. Where you would never hear cars go by, or you know, because being in the woods is normal to me. And and I mean, what most people think of as wilderness.
0: Yeah, that's where you'd rather be.
1: Would you rather Always. have this house put over oh, there? Totally. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> uh, but this isn't bad. But uh, you know, it, it is. It's it's nice here. This is a really nice area, nice community, and everything and most people if you're you drove a, a mile on dirt road and they think that's pretty remote
0: yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean it is compared to where i grew up and where i'm yeah. from um do you spend a lot of time in the city do you ever no especially since it's, you retired or you are as
1: little you... as possible personally i'm any i don't have any attraction to that there's nothing about it that attracts me uh it's just too many people, uh, too many noises, um, too many smells—the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's it's very uh, foreign to me, and
0: um, that makes me so sad. Not that you, not that you don't want to be there, but just what you're describing, versus where we are now, and, and just talking about bears and that, you know, thinking about that life, either the city life, it makes me sad that people. They don't experience. They can't. Some people have, but most people will never get this kind of feeling that you and I are talking about. Right. You know, and it's that's sad to me. Yeah. It is. And how is it that those people can grow up to be politicians and make decisions about wild places?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think most policymakers. Um, don't really understand uh, a lot about... They have their ideas about, uh, you know, wild places, but they don't understand it like people who live there all the time. Um, it's a... There are there probably... There are not many people that really live in the wildlands, so to speak, that want to be get involved in politics and policy making and stuff like that. But it's too bad there wasn't more that wouldn't be easier to uh, transfer that information. Uh, but it's a difficult thing to understand, you know, the, the real inner workings of, of nature. You know, we all think we have this sort of general concept of how things work, but nature's fairly cruel, you know, and um, people don't really want to look death in the face. So, you know, a bear that's dying, part of my job is to put a radio collar on it and and document the outcome. And what you want to do is do something to help this bear, and there's nothing you can do.
0: I was just going to ask you that when you talked about it before, because it almost looked like you were getting choked up thinking about that bear that was twenty. 20- pounds it should be 40 pounds and you found find her later yeah. deceased yeah. because she either starved to death or so, she was too weak and something you know uh, predated on her mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you come close to like like you know, knowing that that bear is going to die and knowing that you could do something for it but you can't
1: you can't intervene right I can't uh, professionally um, our job is to document Natural outcomes. Um, we are able to help orphans. Uh, say something like a uh, a mother bear gets killed in the road and the cubs are caught. You're you're able to raise them up and and release them into the wild. And you know I'm able to I can give them a care package because they're in a situation that was caused by people. Um, mm-hmm. You know not intentionally but uh, you know you can do that but when you're doing uh, you know unbiased research uh, project you're you're just you need to observe from the outside you can't actually uh, participate in some kind of way of helping these animals you have to let things go the course of the natural course and, and, document the results. Yeah. We had a very bad year here in 1995. That was difficult. It was my, my 12th year, um, where almost all the cubs died, almost all of them. Um, some of them made it to the den and then died shortly after, uh, they emerged from the den. But that was a bad year. It was what? a bad food year. It was a, oh, drought. Food. It was a drought year, and mm-hmm. and the food wasn't there. I actually had a 23-year-old female uh, die that next spring in, in May. Um, she weighed 83 pounds in the den. She should have been about 180. She was like basically a skeleton, you know, in the den. And, but she raised... Uh, four cubs. And, uh, at least, uh, I don't know the fate of the male cubs. There were two females. Both females did survive. Uh, mm. They were a year old and very underweight. Uh, but she was able to raise them. Uh, but the, the toll they took on her body, she, she died at 23 years old, which mm. is past prime, but it, you know, she should have had, probably wore more litter in her before she became post-productive and uh Hmm. but she just didn't make it through may
0: i see on cubs for a second um a lot of people don't know um that bears eat uh other bears i mean some some people don't know that and the the boars uh predate is it predate On, on the cubs right yep yeah and and that's commonplace that's that's yep. a natural thing that happens con- consistently correct
1: yeah particularly in an un unmanaged population it's a very common uh, cause of mortality um, when the population level is in good balance with the natural foods that happens at a lot lower rate mm-hmm. um, but when when times are tough like bears are 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 struggling to get by, big bears kill and eat little bears.
0: Mm. And I've also heard
1: that mothers can eat their cubs as well? That's uh, uh, not sure if that's really well documented. That's uh, most uh, adult females will eat any foreign cub that they have an op- opportunity to kill and eat. But uh,
0: Oh, so they wouldn't help another cub, they'd they'd eat it.
1: Most most commonly,
0: yes, I see.
1: Yeah, yeah there there are uh, uh, s- uh, instances instances of uh, mothers adopting other cubs, usually close relative, uh, but it's a it's a rare thing. I've seen it a few times. Uh, yeah, forcing adoption is difficult. We've done that uh, successfully in the den. It's very easy. Bears in the den will accept almost any cub. Hmm. I mean, we had a bear in Maine that adopted a beagle pup once, so uh, (laughs) we had a hard time getting it back. (laughs) But uh, the the pup was just dubbing around and climbing on this brush pile and fell in the den, and there were cubs in there. And when the owner tried to call it out, start coming up out of the brush pile, and the mom would reach up and grab it and uh, pull it back in. Just nicely pulled it. Yeah. And (laughs) kept it overnight, and by the time we got involved, the next day, um, we had to knock the female out. We thought we could just get it out, Uh Um, but, you know, get the the pup, the beagle pup part way out, and you grab onto it, and then mom would grab onto it. Oh, I'd say no, no,
0: no. How, how, what was the the temperament or the, the behavior of the, the pup? He, Just he wanted, crying. Yeah, wanted, yeah, he wanted to get out. He wanted out of there. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you <laughs> know, the
1: lact uh, prolactin is a hormone that uh, these, these, uh, female bears are at that stage, they're so, um, strong in instinct to, they'll, they'll, take any cub at that point but once they leave the den they at that point they recognize their own cubs by smell and they'll, they'll, any foreign cubs uh, they'll kill and eat them mm-hmm. so interesting it's, you have to disable their sense of smell which you can do and it can be done successfully but it's difficult
0: what if you handled one of their cubs would they would' a, would a mother be um have you seen instances where they won't accept the cub back because of...
1: No, uh, not, no not really. Uh, that, that's, uh, they still recognize their cubs, uh, you know, and, and we, we occasionally would have reason to do that. Of course, in the den, uh, they're still at that stage where they take a be- beagle pup, if, you know, if it's small and squirmy. Um, it looks nothing like a bear. That doesn't smell like a bear. But it's little, and they'll take it, you know. I once they leave the den, it's a different situation. But, um, but no, some human scent on on the on the cub wouldn't wouldn't cause anything. I problem. see. I see. Um,
0: baiting baiting bears here in Maine is legal. Mm-hmm. What is the like? What is something that they just can't stay away from?
1: Well, I don't think there's anything in particular, but right now the number one thing is probably trail mix that that's used as bait. Uh, in the fall, uh, trail mix has kind of replaced pastries as the number one bait. Really? Uh, mixed nuts or or just a trail mix which has like maybe raisins and other dried fruit in there. Um, that seems to be the the number one thing to me but it's a wide variety of stuff that they use there's no one thing that that you can say that's that's it but every outfitter has their favorite you know but every bear also has its favorite because each bear is in a different place physiologically from the other bears uh in different different um if you can put them in classes so you have like Males versus females, they're in different places typically and what they, what they really uh, desire in the spring. For instance, males are particularly focused on protein. Females are pro- focused on uh, carbohydrates. So um, you can almost sex them by their choices hmm. on a bait. Um, so nothing beats a beaver carcass in the spring in my opinion. Um, especially for male bears, um, but female bears would rather have high carb bait. So, mm-hmm. so you, just the two sexes, you have that. But then you have sub adults versus adults, and and every bear is kind of in a different place uh, for whether they are be focused more on continuing to grow, like a a sub-adult male particularly is still going to be focused on getting protein, Mm. Uh, whereas a full adult male may be thinking of replacing fat to get through the winter and trying to get the calories up there. Uh, Carbohydrates is your number one thing for that. And that can be pastries or, or any number of things.
0: Man, pastries would be my favorite.
1: I know. Hey,
0: <laughs> like, how can you give up pastries for trail mix? I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: there's, uh, there's the, the protein co- component that actually does enter uh, in. So a lot of our baiting is done prior to uh, the real, um, what's called hyperphagia, but it's the real concentrated feeding that goes on uh, later in the fall before den entry. So our baiting actually, it depends on the year, but it can be as much as almost two months before they actually enter the den. So a lot of the younger bears particularly are still trying to put on growth. I see. And so it's not just fat. Later on, it would be trying to put on fat. Um, mm. You know, and so during that period, carbs is where it's at
0: it's incredible how smart they are that way or how or how their bodies are yeah i don't think it's a conscious decision but like you
1: say it's their bodies are craving yeah telling what they what they should be craving you know as uh, as as an individual so you have uh you know young males particularly what they want to do is get bigger than all their buddies because they get bigger they can beat them up and then they get a little higher yeah uh, on the on the totem pole for breeding rights. Yeah.
0: So anything with creatine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> definitely. We gotta pump up a you little
0: bit. Uh anything with protein powder. Yeah. Um hey, so I wanna uh you mentioned
1: bear hunt this year. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you thinking? I would I would like to do uh it's kind of an unusual opportunity this year that we have a, a big beech nut crop and our beech trees are not as healthy as they were got a beach bark disease is killing a lot of our beech trees um they seem to be going the same way as our chestnut trees went you know so far so long ago nobody even thinks about american chestnut mm-hmm. but we've lost that food source for bears um but we still have uh enough beech nuts that this year is is looking like a really big beech nut year and um Will allow for an opportunity to hunt bears without bait um, in on the beach ridges, and uh, I think that'll be uh, that would be really a good a good experience. It's uh, I'm not against bait hunting at all. I mean, most of the bears that I've uh, guided people to and shot myself were over bait. I'm not against using dogs, uh, trained to chase bears. That's all of it's a challenge. It it doesn't sound like a challenge to some people, but bait hunting is a challenge. Um, and hunting with dogs is a challenge. Uh, free range, like I'm talking about is a challenge. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Well, you're physical. You're, you're, you're going to be able to climb the ridges with me. So cool. We'll get you up there. Uh, I can't
0: wait if we if this works out. You've got me so excited about that.
1: Well, hopefully we can put something together. It's 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 going to be a different experience from the the uh, what we think of as the average hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a tough year to to bait bears to shoot bears over bait this year because the food resources are so good. Mm-hmm. When the f- natural food situation is really good, it's really tough to to bears to even eat bait. Um, they're you know, they're... Man, I love that about them. They're tuned into, like, there's a risk involved. There's human scent there. I see. Um, And so it's reward versus risk. And if their physiological need is great enough, they'll overcome a greater risk to get what they need. But when they've got all this natural food, they're not going to take that risk.
0: I see. So they know coming, coming into bait, what's going on they're cautious right. and they're yeah, like hey, totally need- totally
1: yeah i mean that's 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 the game and uh, m- more of them win than lose you know yeah. We're, we take about one out of seven bears every fall and um, that's a very sustainable number about a 15 percent uh harvest rate and uh that's something that can go on forever and ever um so and the number of bears is in good balance with an the food that's out there mm-hmm. the thing with food with bears though it's not static it's very different from year to year and some years uh, natural foods uh, we've had rain just non-stop almost here in Maine and, and that's going to turn into that that results in really good bear foods and uh, a drought uh, very dry season mm. uh, puts the bears in a bad spot they get to where that particular year when it's really droughty there's not much food for them to eat so mm-hmm. they're willing to take greater risks on those years and it makes baiting much more effective yeah. um, but it's a uh, every year is different but uh now years ago uh it was pretty dependable you'd have a certain level of beech nuts every other year it was it was uh fairly predictable mm-hmm. now we we get a good crop of beech nuts once every four or five years and you don't know when you don't know when it's going to happen you know it's not going to happen back to back i can tell you there won't be nuts next year because i can see that beech trees are loaded with nuts this year
0: when you mentioned that this would be a special year for that kind of hunt and maybe we could do it you had me I'm just already
1: picturing it in my head. I was like, "Yeah, okay, I could see it. We're we're doing it." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, I mean, I think it'll be fun. It's an experience. It's a different experience. Um, Yeah, you you could even do some calling. Uh, That would be an opportunity, probably to call some too. Mm -hmm.
0: Would you? Have you ever heard of Access Deer? Yeah, sure. Yeah have you Have you been to Hawaii? No. Okay um man do you and your wife or family plan plan to go to hawaii at any point (laughs) i think
1: i think my wife would like that i I think so too (laughs)
0: um you should let me know man some of my best friends and and like what we call hanai family live in hawaii and they do a lot of access deer hunting over there they would love to have you man (laughs) yeah they would yeah they would turn you out you'd you'd fall in love with that kind of stuff but they do too man they're great and yeah. the and the the table fares it's it's uh it's up there, oh, I'm sure oh, yeah, yeah. it's real mild tasting and uh yeah. um, uh, do you mind if we take a little intermission here, sure. for a second, I'm just gonna press pause, okay, yeah, all right, thanks for that that intermission um man we we've had an intermission, and we had our own little podcast off of <laughs> off of the recording we were talking so much, um. I just, I enjoy talking to you. I think that you have such a, uh, uh, such a passion for bears, obviously. And then you're such a down to earth guy. So thank you. I thank you again for this. Um, I can't tell you how, um, how I think that this is going to impact a lot of people if they, especially if they, they love bears, that's number one, but just hunting in general and, uh, the knowledge that you have for, uh, your, uh, this this spiritual animal that you're sharing with other people. I think that's that's admirable. And I wanna thank you for that.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Appreciate it's, it. Pleasure's all mine. I, I enjoy talking about bears.
0: Yeah, and it comes from your heart. I can tell. I, I love that. I love that. We, we we were talking uh just off air here for a second about bear camp and uh like how you choose a spot and mm-hmm. you were saying that you it's something that you feel like uh either your ancestors or the indians or 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 whoever thousands of years before us chose our our hunting camps and our hunting spots can you can you expound on that a little bit
1: right well it it's, it's even though we're uh like 500 years from when the native people were there Uh, The situation's still the same, and you're still looking for the same features in terms of where you set up your camp. Um, uh, The native people in Maine traveled by canoe, the same as we're traveling by canoe. Um, Their canoes were made from birch bark, and they were very similar to the canoes that we use now. Um, And... We're basically looking for the same exact features in, in a place to, uh, to set up camp and, and spend some time. So it's not surprising to me when I choose a spot uh, that I see evidence of uh, the former inhabitants uh, being there before me uh, and probably for hundreds of years, you know, before. And so it really does feel a lot like time travel. Uh, when you're in that situation, you could it could be 1810, it could be 1890 or whatever. You would never know the difference. It's uh, almost completely uh, as it was. Uh, things haven't changed that much. So it's kind of cool, because sometimes I think I may have been born into the, the wrong century, you know? Maybe I should have been born 300 years ago, um, and that would have seemed right. But just by traveling to those places, it's as if you've just turned the clock back. And it's like time travel, so it's pretty cool.
0: When, when you're there camping and... You were you were talking about how you're just kind of kicking your feet around, and you kicked over um, what you described as a uh, what
1: what was? well I call it a spear point. When I when I found, uh, I mean I think most people looking at it would say it was a spear point, but the uh, the expert told me it actually was a cutting and scraping tool and used uh, probably to work up hides. But it looks just like a spear point, about four or five inches long.
0: Yeah, you you had me hold it, and that I mean that, that thing could be, you said like six thousand years old. Oh yeah,
1: that's yeah. right. He, he was thinking uh, most likely something like that, maybe even a little older.
0: When you find it, when you find something like that, um, or um, did you call it the sh- the sh- the scrapings or the shellings?
1: Yeah, the the flakes that the they, flakes that they pull off when they're working on tools, uh, much more abundant than the actual tools that you would find. Uh, because they were constantly making tools uh, at different places, uh, you know, to replace broken ones, I suppose, of making arrowheads or spears that that they might break or lose. So uh, there would be uh, probably handfuls of flakes sometimes in that over probably centuries that people would sit there and while they were camped there, making more tools, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be arrowheads, spearheads, or cutting tools, or digging tools, or, or like an axe to cut down, cut down trees with, and things like that.
0: When you find that stuff, the the flakes and and that like that arrowhead um, at uh, or spe- spearhead yeah at at a campsite like that, and then you camp there. Do you, does it feel spiritual? Like you said, it feels like time travel to you. Like you you're feeling those people who were there before you camping there for a hunt, just like you are. Totally.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And and sitting around a fire, just like I am looking out over the river, the same as I was, you know, uh, really nothing in sight that would, would give you a clue that it wasn't 5,000 years ago.
0: Yeah. That's special. Yeah. That's really cool. Cool. Man, I would be, uh, you were talking about us possibly doing that. That that would be a, like a mystical thing to do. I know it's common- You
1: have to be able to appreciate such things. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that uh, a lot of people probably have stayed there, didn't know why they stopped there, and had no idea anybody else had ever stopped there. Um, but uh, I've found that it's true that, when you're in that situation you're in the same situation they were in way back then and you say right here is where I want to be and there are reasons for it you know a lot of times it's a bend in the river where you always get wind to keep the flies the bugs off you Mm. and uh or it's some high ground it's uh in this particular spot is uh there's not a lot of high ground so it's the one place that really, one place stands out. And there's two, two major streams that come into the, uh, the river almost opposite each other. And so it allows you to hunt and fish in, in four different directions. So mm. it has these features that kind of draw you to it. And, and sometimes it's almost like hard to explain. Why would you choose that spot? You, know, you have 18 miles of dead water here. You could have camped anywhere, mm. but you camped in the same spot where Indians camped years and years ago.
0: Something calling you to yeah. that spot. Something yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that the animals, digging down a little deeper, do you think that the animals know too, like that are in that area? Okay, this is where our the predator who hunts me it usually stops at this time of year, and this is where they usually are.
1: I think the bears are very keen to what's going on in their area. Um, so it's a, it's a hard thing to hunt without uh, without kind of sh- showing them what you're doing and where you are mm, uh, right they, they're right on top of uh, changes and uh, so that's part of the game. Part of the game is trying to slip in into where the bears have been feeding and uh, not kind of tip them off that you're doing that, that you're going to be there. So you have to get in there quietly and uh, hopefully, you know, the wind direction, you have to deal with uh, all that stuff. You can't have anything to tip them off or you're done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just like um, I, I was, I think it was Travis or... No, maybe it was orange. I was talking to one of the biologists about this and that. Closer and closer to season, especially elk. Yeah. Uh, people talk about, oh yeah, I've seen the elk all year. They've been walking around here and there all year. Closer and closer to August, September, they just you don't see them anymore. Yeah. And I asked him just kind of straight out. I was like, "You do they? You think they know? <laughs> you know?" <laughs> and he's like, "I mean, I don't, I don't know that they know, but they certainly." sense something whether it's a increase in activity as Mm -hmm. you progress from bow to muzzleloader to rifle and or even in scouting like like a few weeks Mm -hmm. prior to like actual like the date they sense they hear the rumble of the trucks or or and then they're like okay we're doing this again yeah you know and then just like you stopped at that place to camp and that called you and you talked about your son uh you know mm-hmm. taking him and, and have you taken your wife to bear camp too
1: no no yeah, see him. i i stopped hunting bears and that's why just the other day my son called and said i'd like to start hunting bears again and um i said yeah we'll we'll look into it and we'll try to set up for next fall because it's too close to this fall for that mm-hmm. but for the free range uh, yeah we'll uh we'll uh, We'll try to pull that off this year. That's that's kind of open to anyone, um, but yeah, he's. Uh, I quit. It's like it was a family thing, um, and all of our families hunted together, uh, my three brothers and I, and uh, I don't know. I guess we all got a little too busy, and uh, and we we continued to deer hunt and rabbit hunt. Uh, and, and, you know, bird hunt and whatnot. But uh, bear hunting, it takes a, you know, bear baiting takes a a really uh, a lot of effort. A lot of effort goes into it, and it's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And we got kind of busy and and just kind of fell out. But the last that I hunted was a water line on the Matawankeg River here in Maine and a big, long dead water that we were able to run our run our boats up and down with motors and um that was a different type of bait hunting from what most people do with trucks and mm. uh, it was really nice
0: yeah when you hunt with your son or i mean you said you haven't hunted in a while with them and yeah uh, but when you hunt with your son at, or when you hunt with your wife this is probably an obvious type of uh you know this kind of a rhetorical question because you, you know but uh, i'm sure it brings you together oh
1: it's it's, it's inc- incredible yeah. yeah yeah that's the best for us it's the most bonding thing that there is to go hunting together and that probably goes back to hundreds of generations ago you know that people hunted as a family like that you know mm-hmm. and so it's probably almost an instinctive thing it's um, I think people go to hunting camp, and it's like, it's it's very much the same, you know, It it's, uh, I think it really uh, kind of pulls people together in a common, uh, you know, common objective that they're all trying to hunt together, like-minded people, I suppose, and tell stories, I mean, that's all we ever do when we get back together as a family is just talk about hunting stories. It's it's our, you know, it's my favorite memories. And I, I know for my son growing up in bear camp, he really misses it, you know, because mm-hmm. we haven't hunted for years now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you think it's too much to say that those kinds of things, especially hunting together or, you know, camping together, or specifically bear camp together, saves relationships
1: well or
0: or creates like life life bonds
1: yeah it's a it's a powerful thing um of course for us you know the whole camping thing is probably bigger than the hunting part yeah (laughs) yeah because we're all you know sitting around the fire and and cooking on the fire and 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 staying in tents and you're you listen to the coyotes howl at night and whatever, loons or whatever, um, owls. And it just, it's such a rich experience, it really is. It's like, it's closer, even if you had, if you were staying in a camp, it wouldn't be the same as being in a tent where you hear all the night noises and all the different things going on around you. And Mm -hmm. um, it's more immersed in nature to a deeper level than staying in a camp
0: yeah yeah, yeah. have you, you you when we talked about you and your wife uh you know early on um uh, uh, bird hunting have you mm-hmm. done any other kind of hunting together
1: yeah we we went uh deer hunting together uh we haven't done a lot of hunting together uh but we have uh we have done some it's uh it's not something that will's my stepson will's really interested in mm-hmm. and uh that's fine. I, I kind of feel like Fiona uh, has a more natural uh, tendency to lean towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's something that we might might end up enjoying as a family cuz it it's really is a is a, really a special thing. Uh, as you know, hunting is hard to explain to people if you've never hunted, but it it's uh, it's more, uh, it's hard to put into words how how it, it impacts you. Yeah.
0: You know? How old is Will?
1: Will's fourteen.
0: He's fourteen, and he's not too in He's he's has, has no. he, he's never been.
1: No, well, he's he went bird hunting with me a couple
0: times, and he wasn't into that.
1: Not really. Uh It's just not something. It just doesn't it doesn't blow his skirt up the same as it does the next guy. You know, and I see. You never know. A lot of times. People, you know, don't think it's for them, but if they're exposed to it, they're like, holy cow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's impossible to really describe how it's going to be until you feel it yourself. Sure. The, the experience of what what it really is. And you can do anything else. It's not the same. You mm-hmm. can take pictures, videos. Not the same as yeah. having... The gun or the bow or, or whatever in your hands, and mm-hmm. you're part of this whole n- natural uh, process. You know, and yeah. It's it's really powerful, uh, and it doesn't affect everyone the same. You know, it just it yeah. doesn't. So
0: he hasn't expressed any interest in big game hunting. No, fourteen.
1: No, no, no. Uh-huh. And uh, like when I was that age, I couldn't. I mean, it's all I could think about.
0: Yeah, <laughs> does he? Does he eat meat?
1: Not, not much. Not much. Oh, maybe not, that's not part much. of it too.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe that's a little bit of it. Yeah, it could be. But he seems to be into video and uh, oh, like shooting
1: and cameras and big time politics stuff that I would never. I would stay as far away from as possible. Really, politics? Oh, he you was know, he's class president. You know? Oh, is he really? All of that? Oh, that's stuff. so cool. Yeah. I love that. He's into theater, like like it would scare scare me to get up there and do that but he's like a lead role he's the beast in uh, beauty and the beast right now he's oh
0: that's fantastic yeah. yeah i think hunting would really round him out <laughs> <laughs>
1: well it's uh yeah, yeah it's a hard hard to know i mean i don't yeah. like pushing anybody towards sure. it you sure. know cuz uh, i think if people have a curiosity they find out one way or the other how it works if you know, yeah. if it works for them
0: you know, no totally know. totally yeah. i get that the whole pushing thing especially with the amount of passion i have for it i almost yeah. feel like i people i like i was saying before like the whole inner city thing no matter yeah. what they should have a class in it and get yeah. out there and be exposed to it that's right you yeah. know um but but no i get it i get yeah. it 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 does kind of like when you see somebody who's not interested in it you because we love it so much you do yeah. have to wonder why yeah i yeah. wonder if they wonder why we're not in this Going into the city. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? right. So, that's, right. Yeah. that's interesting. Um, you know, something else you talked about that I think is really important for people to know um, and something that uh, kind of shocked me is the whole uh, trichinosis thing here yeah. in Maine yeah uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that because that's that's something that's a little scary for people yeah that harvest bears and they they need to cook it or they feel like they need to cook it at they a certain should. temperature yeah right
1: yeah to be safe you know you really should and uh no matter where you're from uh can't recommend to do otherwise uh but that doesn't mean you have to overcook it uh bear is very forgiving uh, mm-hmm. you know bear roasts or awesome um, but uh, to be on the safe side you should always you know heat it to I can't even remember to 160 degrees or whatever internal temperature but it's um, I think the reason why we don't really have a lot of trichinosis in Maine and I think the reason why is that we don't have the alternative hosts as 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 much um, I believe that might be probably plays into it mm-hmm. so of course anywhere where you have wild boar or, or wild pigs feral pigs mm-hmm. uh, it's obviously a reservoir host there for trichinosis and you have bears killing piglets and eating them and mm-hmm. so it's obvious in places like that you would expect it really and but uh, at any rate it's it's uh it's perfectly safe as long as this is cooked You know, at least it doesn't have to be totally 100% overcooked, you know, but just Mm -hmm. to to make it safe. But it's it's something everyone should be aware of. And I'm not sure, I personally don't think it has much to do with the common fallacy that so many people have that bear is no good to eat. I believe that people believe that. Uh, that it became sort of a common knowledge thing uh, that bear is not very good meat. Uh, And I think that came from back generations ago when people didn't have proper refrigeration uh, options open to them. And bear does spoil quickly uh, if it's not cooled down and taken care of Mm -hmm. uh, fairly quickly. So, and when it's spoiled, of course, it's not very good. But, but bear meat's uh, not gamey at all. It's what uh, the only wild game I feel like you could slip onto the table and nobody would know that they're eating wild game. Interesting. You know, because it's not gamey. Um, right. And it's very, very good. But it's uh, unfortunate that there's this feeling around there's so many people believe that bear meat is not good to eat and it could be have to do with you know that they're not an herbivore that they're not a they're an omnivore they don't have four toes you know mm-hmm. they have five toes so it's it's hard to uh, know all the reasons for it but it's really unfortunate I think because I think a lot of people just you know steer away from the meat and not if you're going to go out and harvest an animal a magnificent animal like a bear you should use every part of the bear that you can mm-hmm. and, and that reminds me of the the fat is like amazing when it's rendered down into what i like to call bear butter it's it's a it's very useful cooking oil um that you can use for anything from making biscuits to, you know, whatever you would normally use, uh, uh, vegetable shortening or vegetable oil. You can use bear oil, and it's just a really good resource for that. And something that uh, in the pioneer days that was really coveted because uh, they couldn't just go to the store and buy a stick of butter. You know, (laughs) you had to find that stuff in the wild and, and, um, and bear oil was where it was at. It mm. was very, uh, uh, probably the most valuable part of the bear was, the, was oil rendered down, uh, the fat rendered down into oil and then it keeps very well. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really good stuff. I like to call it bear butter because it's very rich and, it's almost flavorless, but it has a uh, sort of a richness to it that is uh, that you can uh, appreciate, and it can be used in so many different ways. It's supposed to make the best pie crust, but I don't think people make pie crust anymore. You just buy it, right? <laughs> you just buy it. Just yeah. buy it yeah. in the store.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot about the, the bear butter. The, yeah. I like I like that better than...
1: Bear grease sounds nasty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bear butter sounds a lot better. Yeah. yeah anything butter. <laughs> um, no, that, that's those are good points there. So the hide, the meat, obviously. Yeah. The 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 bear butter. Yeah. Um, do you, do you do anything with bones, like a bone broth or anything?
1: No, I never have. But you know, they talk about, uh, uh, you know, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, he, do you know what they call it when they? eat the shank. Uh, hmm. um, it's a fancy, probably a French word.
0: Oh. Oh, oh, it starts with an O?
1: Uh, probably. Uh, yeah. Something like a or something Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And anyway, they, or they just slice, and supposedly bear is like about the best there is for really? that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wish I could think of the right word, but uh, it's... Uh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's some you gotta cook it forever but <laughs> yeah yeah
0: we talked about um you know off air i mean a minute ago i wanted to make sure that you you talk to like hunters out there just because of your experience and what you wanted you wanted to get across to them um about bears and one big thing was the use of the entire animal which is um uh, i think you know that that always makes sense to i feel everybody yeah um,
1: totally to respect the animal if you shoot it uh far back in you need to bone it out to carry it out yeah uh, but uh should should just try not to you know in in theory you can argue that nothing in nature gets wasted something will eat it right Mm. of course but um you're responsible for taking the life of the animal. You should probably make full utilization of the animal. I think it's cool when people make things out of the fur, like a, a bear, a black bear coat is like really awesome. It takes two or three bears to do that, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a you know like a blanket. People make blankets out of it and
0: stuff. That's neat. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd want? and not just hunters i mean hunters as well but any anyone else to know about bears
1: oh boy it's there's a lot of misinformation about bears uh i watched a guy talk one time at a at a conference with bear biologists there he started his talk off with uh he said most of what we know about bears isn't true and Unfortunately, I think that's that's the truth, you know. Most most common knowledge of what most people believe about bears actually isn't true. You know, there's so many um, misconceptions about their ferocity and so forth. People get, you know, like the brown bears or grizzlies particularly are, poor, you know, kind of poor-tempered bears that always lived in a situation where nothing was bigger than them so they just kind of anything got close to them they just tackled it you know mm-hmm. they had that kind of attitude but the black bears don't uh, the black bears have always been more uh reclusive and kind of stay out of the way and so their their ferocity i guess is overstated you know we we often talk about uh, you know it's a bear crew handling bears in dens and such about a bear being aggressive. But realistically that bear's not being aggressive. You're sticking your head in there in their den and they're being defensive. You know, they're not coming after you. You're you're sticking your head in their den. They're being defensive of their they're trying to defend their cubs or whatever. Um, but we always use the term aggressive and, and really that's a misnomer right there because what they're what they're being is they have enough self confidence to mm-hmm. try and and fend you off and so the bears with more self confidence are the ones that we talk about being aggressive. There are certain um, certain bears that are defend the entrance with a lot of uh, uh, you know actual. Courage, you know, because there, there's nothing more uh, scary to a black bear than a human, you know. that's just really scary for them. Especially around here, probably. Oh, yeah. But yeah, definitely. And they uh, they look at humans as having, you know, obviously some, you know, some power that's hard for us to think about it that way. We have guns, you know, and such— and so they, because you know face to face, these bears would be way be able to overwhelm anybody with with no weapons or anything hmm. you know hand to hand type situation, so if they you know you know if we were unarmed, you know the bears definitely got the upper hand, but they don't see it that way, you know. A bear's as scared as of a of a innocent six year old child as they are no doubt almost you know it's they just think of it as a human a human's like a big scary thing to them so yeah
0: it's a, r- a rare thing for uh there to be a bear especially a black bear to be like uh a problem bear where they're constantly attacking people that's a rarity.
1: Yeah, it is in in, in, a, in a situation like we have here, uh, where those problems crop up is typically where they haven't had a long history of exploitation through hunting uh, or interaction with people in general. Uh, some of my more remote northern trips where there are black bears that just never see people, they're they're dangerous because they haven't got these generations of bears that the only ones that live are the ones that avoid humans. You know. mm. So the human avoidance behavior is, takes time, takes generations of bears to, for that to be a population behavioral change, uh, population-wide somewhat. So, yeah, those are the dangerous bears, the ones that have very little Interaction with people don't really understand where they fit in and where people fit in, and people, you know, potentially could be considered a prey item by some of them. So black bear attacks generally happen in situations where hunting doesn't happen. Um, Like Algonquin Park in Ontario was always famous for somewhat notorious for uh, black bear attacks on campers uh, but there was never any hunting there. It was a park that didn't allow hunting and so the bears had no reason to fear people. Mm-hmm. They just look at them as a potential prey item and so most of your black bear attacks are predatory in nature. True attacks are mostly predatory in, in nature and they, they intend to kill and eat you.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the the The, the this part's gonna be for the the black bear trophy hunter. Yeah. Is is Maine known for trophy bears? Like big
1: I don't think so. That our bears grow a little more slowly than in some of the parts south of here. hmm uh, you know, our bears are probably average, um, uh, but since we have so many, we have more bears than any other state, uh contiguous 48 states so um you know we have we have we have trophy bears here but uh we have a lot of bears a lot of of them are still growing um so our state records uh basically 700 pounds 699 officially Mm -hmm. um that's a big bear Mm -hmm. it's a real big bear and it's also fat but uh you know, we we get uh, bears in the fall up over four hundred pounds fairly regularly. Uh, those are very respectable, but uh, most bears on the landscape are way less than that. You yeah, know, I see. you know, it's a it takes a, a boar, a male bear, uh, in Maine to reach peak size about ten or twelve years mm-hmm. typically, whereas some places like Pennsylvania would be a good example. They can reach those weights at four or five years old, mm. so they can get there quicker. They got almost as many bears as we have too, mm-hmm. so. Uh,
0: I'm sorry. Did you yeah. did you say why?
1: Because they have uh, longer growing season and more food. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. Variety and, and availability. I don't think I did say that. Uh, mostly, our bears are uh, in the den for five to sometimes six months, depending on the year. Mm. Uh, whereas in some parts of their range, they're only in a den for three or four months. Or,
0: mm. Okay.
1: So they're able, you know, and, and it's it depends on the quality and the amount of food there and how, you know, what the bear population is in relation to the food, you know, quantity and quality.
0: So I see. You know, so. is, is Maine a state that's pretty... Friendly to, to non-resident hunters. Totally, yeah. Okay, yeah. For for bear,
1: especially for bear, yeah, yeah, yeah big time. So we have this commercial uh, guiding uh, uh, operations all over the state that are set up to help people to get bears, yeah. whether it's by bait or over dogs, or, or yeah. Know, for the most part, that's the two ways. Uh, we do allow trapping of bears in Maine that's unusual um, uh, no place except for Alaska and certain parts of Alaska that in the states allows trapping uh, in Canada some of the, some of the provinces do uh, um
0: uh, I must, that might be a silly question but when you trap a bear you're ju- you're just trapping them to kill them you're going to dispatch or them. kill her yep. right yep. oh, okay yeah and um because you're not trapping them to keep them no, <laughs> right <no. laughs> um yeah just wondering about the whole trapping thing that's kind of a new new one on me like the yeah, that's, trapping yeah that's,
1: that's different um it's uh it's a good way for someone that doesn't have that much time to get a bear in the freezer and mm-hmm. try to trap them um they're not the easiest thing to trap but on the other hand can be done if you do everything right yeah Mm. it's our lowest success rate for many user group uh which which surprises people is resident trappers non-resident trappers do a little better because they tend to hire a guide and the guide helps them Mm. but for resident trappers that's the lowest success rate
0: something just popped into my head as far as trapping is concerned that's probably way off in the you know and some other universe but <laughs> is there such a thing as like a bear farm in a, and when i say a bear farm i don't mean like oh let's go pet the bear i mean like you have elk farms and you have deer farms and mm-hmm. that kind of thing or high high fence operations right is there do you have any have you even heard of anything like that or would no. uh, would that be weird
1: that'd be weird right or i think that'd be difficult I see. yeah i it's it is very different from A strict herbivore Um, uh, to try to contain bears is very difficult for one thing Mm -hmm. they uh, over any fence I mean if you had enough electric fence yeah maybe but you know you'd have to have miles and miles of electric fence to actually have a fenced bear situation
0: yeah it doesn't sound like it would make sense but when Uh, you said trapping I'm like well why else would you trap it of course like you said to dispatch the bear Yeah, so that's something that's a lot of people probably don't know that that trapping is legal. And
1: yeah, no, yeah. I don't think it's well known, but it's uh, it's uh, something that's always been legal here in Maine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, bear trapping is just one of the tools that you can use to harvest a bear.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, well, I think we've we've discussed a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, and um, I appreciate you. T- how- we're we're over two hours and uh i think that we've i think we've just kind of scratched the surface (laughs) i I agree with you there (laughs) with all the knowledge you have um i'm hoping that we could do another one where we dig down deep on a specific topic Mm -hmm. especially um to get we talked about getting your wife on the Mm -hmm. podcast too and to get that that contrasting uh Two two biologists, one specializing in bear, and hers in in salamanders yeah. and frogs. And, yeah. uh, and I think that would be just fascinating to talk about. Um, just from speaking with her quickly, she's she just sounds like a wealth of knowledge on that, and yeah. super duper passionate on her end. Oh yeah, as <laughs> just as I mean, just <laughs> as much as you are, because yeah. you just kind of went off on like how she thinks that salamanders are. are might are better than bears yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, i thought that was cool so hopefully we can do that and uh you know dig down on some more topics and um know i've thanked you like a thousand times but just from the first uh you know moment picking up the phone you were so you know jovial and happy about talking about bears and so passionate about it and welcoming me into your home my first time here in Maine you've been like an amazing host I'm not I haven't been here but for a few hours and I'm already sitting in your your lodge here and then chatting about bears and drinking coffee it's just uh, it's great man thank you for being such a uh, just a nice guy and and I, I mean I don't you're I don't know if your wife and uh, if they're here but i, I really want to thank them too for mm-hmm. just welcoming me here in maine and and into your home man thank you so much you bet yeah, yeah. so hopefully we can do this again hopefully the next time i see you we'll be we, we'll be doing that yeah we're
1: gonna talk about the details on that yeah, yeah
0: yeah and hopefully i can come back and and get some pictures and film it and then we can maybe do the podcast then sure so yeah. but thank you again and uh and uh until next time oh thanks all right yep
1: bye-bye Bye.